So we're back on day two of Nima in Dubrovnik with our second podcast of the week. Uh, I'm John Watkins and I'm joined by Paul Walsh, our staff writer, um, and special guest today, uh, Charles Gubert. How are you, Charles? Yeah, not too bad. Enjoying the uh, Dubrovnik sun. So I'm not quite looking forward to going back to rainy UK. Absolutely. And, and if any of you are avid readers of Global Custodian, I'm sure you'll uh, recognise Charles' uh, name and, and writing all over the site. So uh, we've literally just left the asset management panel at Nima. Uh, and actually, firstly, to say those guys had the most fun on a panel I've seen in this whole conference. They were they were <laughs> laughing and joking, and there's some really good spirits there. So, uh, NEMA event organisers highly recommend getting those guys in for more panels um, in future conferences. So, uh, the the messages from that uh, panel though seem to be high on the asset managers uh, wanting more collaboration in the industry. Is that right, Charles? Is that what you got? No, absolutely. I mean, we've had a quite a few market openings over the last 18 months, two years, with the uh, Saudi Arabian market opening up. We've seen uh, China, Stock Connect, uh, liberalization of the interbank bond market. And uh, I think one of the core themes is that the asset managers just want to understand the market, and that can be achieved by their so-called sub-custodians on the ground, liaising with market infrastructures and regulators, and kind of giving them quality knowledge and information. And one of the interesting things is that there's often a habit among when markets open for people to want to jump in and immediately invest, or at least talk about immediately investing, yet some of those markets will inevitably have some flaws in them. I think we saw this with Saudi, we saw this with China, and one of the asset managers said that, you know what, sometimes it's good if people don't invest because it allows the market to correct those flaws. Um, I suppose a couple of days ago, on the uh, there was a there was a panel on uh, network uh, contingency plans, and um, obviously it's uh, it can be a huge challenge when a sub custodian decides to exit a market or worst worst case scenario defaults. And I think the asset managers are pushing for the global custodians to have better network contingency plans in place. Um, this kind of does create an issue because obviously if you have a hot network contingency plan ready to port business over running a shadow shadow custodian almost, that costs money. Um, fund managers, particularly in the active space, have had suboptimal performance of late, have been a tricky market to navigate. Their investors are putting huge pressure on fees. So they don't really want to pay the global custodians for yeah. this. And um, I think the global custodians are also in a bit of comp because they need to charge for it. So... The cost has got to come somewhere, and um, I'm, sh- I'm, ho- I'm sure it will be resolved eventually, but that's something that's quite interesting. Yeah, and actually, uh, now you mentioned cost, that was really uh, um, that was something that was discussed in, in another panel today, uh, The where the, some of the panellists were uh, chatting about the, um, the, the kind of operating costs and how they're going to inevitably have to um, you know, pass those prices on, and one of the quotes was from, uh, from a chap from City, Alex Todd, he said he couldn't think of another industry that's faced a fundamental change in its cost base but hasn't been forced to reflect that in its pricing. And he gave the, uh, the analogy of, well, you get an email from Apple or your gym or your TV provider saying, we're putting your prices up, and you just accept it and you move on. So um, they're, they're basically saying that you know, inevitably the same is going to happen with custodians and, and these um, their clients are just going to have to kind of suck it up and, and accept it. Yeah, I mean... Even on the depository front, you know, depositories are taking on enormous amounts of liability under AFMD and use expired. So the use expired, the depository cannot discharge liability to the sub custodian for any loss of assets or uh, or fraud, for example. 
AFMD it can uh, the liability can be discharged but under a very very small number of circumstances. And you know you look at the price of an AFMD depository and it's rarely more than three bits. So you've got to ask yourself the question as have these depositories massively underpriced the risk? Mm -hmm. And I suspect like over the next couple of months, uh, usage depositories, usage five depositories will sort of have to factor in the incurred risk and they are going to have to increase costs to, for the managers because, you know, it's, it's, it's part of a new regulatory game now. And um, whether or not managers, as I said earlier, they've got their own cost pressures themselves are willing to pay for that is another question. But I suspect there might be some awkward conversations between depositories and fund managers in the next couple of months and years. Uh, I think that was the basis for our uh, main feature in our uh, spring edition of Global Custodian. So if you haven't caught that, uh, worth keeping an eye out for it. Um, and to be two of the topics that have been huge at NEMA this year have been T2S and blockchain. Probably the same things that maybe we talked about last year, I don't know. But uh, we, we spoke about T2S on yesterday's podcast, but let's go into blockchain for a little bit. Because I know both of you guys have been on various panels with blockchain and had interviews and I mean, speaking to people it's impossible to get away from it so I mean Paul is there anything kind of anything new you've heard about, about blockchain since being here anything worth worth speaking about it's, it's interesting I caught up with Mark John who's director of broker dealer services at Pershing for the EMEA region and when the subject of blockchain came up as it pretty much always does in any conversation in this industry I found uh, that the conversations we should be having about blockchain we should be having in five years' time because in five years' time we'll know what it can do, we'll know where it can be applied and there are, according to, to him, there are particular asset classes which blockchain can be applied to and as I say, once we get to that five-year stage we'll know how well they can be applied to those assets um, and also he was quick to point out that there are other applications of distributed ledger technology but because blockchain is the sexy version and the buzzword that everybody else wants to talk about we're paying more attention to that rather than others whereas the others might be sort of almost, I wouldn't say better but perhaps more efficient for various asset classes so we're spending too much time on blockchain So uh, blockchain is sexy, that's the... Um I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah good. Okay. We could be the first custody publication to use the word sexy in our content. <laughs> and we won't be the last. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and Charles, you've uh, been to a couple of panels and, you know, Paul's saying there, uh, about five years' time, do you think that's, that's maybe more realistic expectations when it comes to seeing blockchain implementation? Yeah, I mean, uh, blockchain does have a... It's almost a, like a crack cocaine of uh, custody conferences. Yeah. And you can't just... Uh, it's absolutely <laughs> everywhere. And it's sort of, but anyway, I mean, um, disregard that comment. But no, it is... Uh, it's sex, it drugs is, and rock and roll in this industry, <laughs> it really is. But um, it is, um, it's an interesting concept. Uh, what was interesting for me particularly was that a blockchain panel comprised of a lot of technology providers and disruptors were actually more cautious than the custodians who are talking about it. And um, one of the guys on the panel said that, you know, custodians need to implement efficiencies in their existing processes, be it reconcil reconciliations, corporate actions, anything like that, before they can implement a blockchain system. And I think there are a number of things that blockchain needs to navigate before it becomes industry-wide. You know, it's got question marks over its scalability. Uh, one of the biggest barriers is likely to be regulation. Uh, how are regulators going to approach it? Are they going to deem it to be systemically important? Cyber security, you know, another, mm -hmm. someone said to me, is that... Because blockchain is totally unchangeable, what if a hacker hacked in and posted a false transaction? How would you unwind that from the blockchain? 
Um, these are all issues that the industry needs to address. Um, we've also seen nearly many, many banks sort of launching their own private internal blockchains. And we've seen in the market with uh, attaining harmonization across CSDs, where there's you know, one a handful in each market on average, attaining harmonization in those infrastructures has been very, very difficult and a long, wieldy, unwieldy process. Now, you have multiple blockchains in multiple organizations. Trying to attain a public blockchain is almost going to be, is going to be very challenging. And, um, you know, it's going to require a lot of industry collaboration. And um, I think uh, that, again, is going to take years. And who knows? Maybe a disruptor will disrupt blockchain yeah. before we've reached agreement on it. But um, it's certainly something that we should be mindful. And I think, um, I suspect... Uh, most organizations will use it in a limited capacity, maybe on their internal blockchain models if the public blockchain doesn't come about. But that's to say, it is, it is a very interesting piece of technology. What would you say you've had more conversations about in at this conference over the last few weeks? Blockchain, Donald Trump or Brexit? I'd say, uh, yeah, I'd say the 2B is blockchain and Brexit. Yeah. Um, I think there is uh, a degree of nervousness about what is going to happen. And I think we'll save the rest of the uh, the Brexit debate for nearer June 23rd um, and, and, and get back to it then, shall we? Um, so the wind's picking up a bit out here, so I think we'll, we'll kind of turn to wrap it up. There was just one more story uh, from the NEMA conference that we, we wanted to just go over quickly, and that was obviously in the, the start of this week, the news broke that MSCI wouldn't be including uh, China's A shares in its global benchmark indices, and we actually caught up with uh, Florence Lee from HSBC. She is the head of China Sales and Business Development for their security services. Uh, and we just we chatted about the news, and um, obviously I think it's a bit of a blow to, to everyone in China who's for three years in a row now been waiting on this announcement and waiting to, to see what the outcome would be. Um, and unfortunately, yet again, it was it was a, um, a snub from, from the indices uh, compilers. So uh, we kind of asked about the, 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 the kind of sentiment towards the, the Chinese market, and everything's still quite upbeat. I mean, uh, there's, there's expansion in the, the Stock Connect, um, the news the other week that the Chinese government had uh, extended the RQV scheme to the US and, and granted it a 250 billion won quota, which is which is huge. And also, I mean, Stock Connect. There's talk of it being a Shenzhen Hong Kong link later this year, and possibly other extensions into other countries. So the Florence's um, uh, attitude towards it all was very very positive, despite the MSCI announcement. Uh, and also, HSBC uh, earlier this week did facilitate the, uh, the, the, first, um, the first overseas financial institutions access to the uh, China interbank uh, bond market, which is uh, a huge thing. I mean, this is actually one of the, I think it's third, the third biggest interbank bond market in the world behind the US and Japan. So, um, you know, this is the start of foreign investors getting access to this $7 trillion uh, market. So huge news there. Uh, and that story is up online on uh, gc.com along with the rest of the NEMA coverage. So check that out. But uh, Paul, I think it's time for us to sign off. I think they're, they've decided to um, cut short or, or move around the conference agenda to, uh, to account for the England-Wales game, which is taking place at 3 o'clock over here. So um, we'll, we'll do the same and, and wrap this up and, and, and call it a day for the, uh, for the conference. So thanks very much um, for all those listening in to us. And we hope to continue with this podcast next week when we're, we're back in London. recording. Well, it's sunny a location. Well, with fingers crossed. It is June. <laughs>
we get a couple of days each year, don't okay, we? Cool. So, but uh, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>